Hey, welcome to Books in the Biz. Rich, what do you think of a new intro for those watching on video? I love it. It looks That's, great. That makes us look so professional at this point. It's almost like we know what we're doing, but <laughs> our listeners probably know better by now. Well, welcome again to Books in the Biz. I am here with my good friend, Rich Veltre. Rich, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Life is good in... in uh, New York, no natural disasters to worry about at this point, right? No, not as of now. Right now, it's pretty calm. Weather's a little that. weird, but hey, it is what it is. Everybody's saying the same thing all over the place. So Yes, it is. It's, it's been pretty warm here, too. But um, So our discussion today really centers around some of the things that we've been seeing in the news, as, as a lot of our discussions do. Um, but what prompted this was actually all the stuff that seemed to be happening out west of us right now. So um, at the time... Uh, we started thinking about this. We had, uh, there was a hurricane that was going through, uh, California. Of course, there was the wildfires in New York city. Uh, you and I have been dealing with residue from wildfires through Canada, all that coming down to New York in the Midwest, which is creating all sorts of haze really doesn't necessarily affect our business that much. Um, but the point is things happen. Uh, things happen that are beyond our control. Things uh, can cause our business to really kind of, you know, shut down for the most part. And I'll give you an example here. Let me pull up. Uh, you know, here's all the stuff. I found a couple articles. This is a good one. Uh, six ways natural disasters can affect your business. And of course, I agree with all of them. Uh, supply chain disruptions. We had that and in during uh, certain pandemic times, of course, we've seen a number of issues pop up related to supply chains. Uh, communication can happen, and we'll touch base on that. Damaged buildings, obviously, if, if you're going through a hurricane, earthquake, wildfire, tornado, any one of those things could, could affect your, your property and the operation. Uh, there is is also the potential for loss of equipment, failure of equipment, um, loss of personnel. And we'll, we'll touch base on that because I think that's the one that uh, a lot of companies don't really think about, especially a lot of business owners. We still kind of have that feeling that we're invincible and that we'll live forever. And, and unfortunately, if we're not prepared, that can create all sorts of other problems. And then, of course, loss of clientele, because if you can't provide your product or service, then uh, that's another problem. Um, so, Rich, you had brought up a good point just before we were getting on this. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about what most people think they need to focus on when it comes to natural disasters? Um, well, I think that what what immediately resonated to me or what re really grew in my mind really quickly when we talked about the topic was the fact that, you know, the media has been really, really focused over the last 20 years on you know, the movement of all of your data and, you know, uh, data orders, anything that was digi digital or able to be digitized was put in the cloud. So, you know, the data security and the communications part of it kind of rose to the top. And so every time you think, you know, you know, business loss or, um, you know, natural disaster, you're immediately thinking, well, where's my data and where's my, you know, computers. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've gone this route that everything is based on, you know, IT. Um, 
But I think, you know, as we were talking about, I think the big thing here is there's a whole set of other, you know, items. The article you're showing has six of them and only one of them was communication. So, <laughs> yeah. so and that's probably the biggest one, because when you have a disaster, what's the first thing you have to do? Communicate. <laughs> well, totally agree. Um, you know, but I think that, you know, the the issues that come up, though, are the fact that has everybody thought about the other pieces? Right. Well, it, before we jump on the other pieces, I actually have a good story to kind of go with uh, the push to the cloud. So you think you're going to put all your information in the cloud is going to be safe. Well, I had a client recently and they have a business management cloud software, cloud based. Uh, the data that is generated through the inputs in that software is all cloud based. And recently they did an update. And when that update happened, something else happened. And what ended up going on was they started realizing that it was throwing their accounts payables and accounts receivables off and off by big numbers, too. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, it, it appears I, I can't say for sure they're still working on the the uh, you know what's going on, but it appears that it was caused by the update to the cloud. So for months, they've had issues where they haven't been collecting enough. Uh, they haven't been sending out the bills correctly and it's created a huge cash flow issue. And, and the other problem is the software, the cloud-based software has been saving all the data in the cloud. Well, what happens when you do that? If all your automatic backups are in the cloud, well, it's backing up bad information on top of bad information. And now they are struggling to try and, and get things straightened out. It's created a huge cash flow issue. Of course, everyone's pointing the fingers at everybody else, and there's no physical backup to go back and look and say, well, here's where the break happened, or here's where, you know, after the update, we started seeing these differences in, in our billing and, and in our software. Um, so you really do have to be careful from the technology side, too, on assuming that just because you put it up in the cloud, it is going to be safe and it's going to be accurate. I think uh, one of the things you'll hear us both talk about today is contingencies. If you fly in an airplane, there are multiple contingencies to keep that plane in the air. If something fails, there's a backup and there's a backup of the backup. And in some cases in business, you need to do that. I, uh, I totally agree with that. And what we do find a lot is that companies don't think about what's the backup to the backup to the backup. You know, you're lucky if the company's thinking about one backup. <laughs> um, exactly. and you know, so there's, there's a lot that goes into kind of planning for that because you don't want to do it after the fact, this goes back to our conversations where we talk about, you know, reaction versus, you know, proaction. And this really has to be the thing that people talk about in the proactive side, not in the, Oh, by the way, there's a hurricane coming or a tornado just hit. And let's think about this now. It's a little late, you know, because that thing's going to come down on you faster than you can actually fix things because you can call people and say, hey, come on in and help me fix this. But if they're dealing with the same, you know, tornado or hurricane or, or natural disaster that's coming, you know, you're not going to get that phone call and get somebody in in, you know, a matter of minutes. So why do companies push this off? Why do you think they do that? That's been my biggest question. Um. I think there's just kind of a, I think we all have at least a little bit of a propensity to just say, we're not going to, you know, it's not going to happen to us. Not me. 
not, yep. not in my backyard. You know, this isn't what's going to happen. You know, I'm, you know, I'm protected, even though you might not be, you just are telling yourself that you are, that this isn't going to happen. Um, but I think that, you know, the reality is you don't know that answer. You're, you're, you're guessing and hoping and hope is not a strategy. Exactly. And <laughs> I, I believe there's the always tomorrow principle that seems to be part of human nature. So I don't have time to do it today. And this is going to be, I haven't told you yet, but this is going to be a subject for a future podcast. I always have time tomorrow, right. but tomorrow never comes. So today I'm too busy. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Tomorrow just keeps getting pushed ahead until something happens. And then as you point out, it's too late. You're not, you're not prepared. And then the situation might be that you just don't have the resources anymore. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, it's, it's becoming a little bit more of an issue I think people should really be thinking about because not just from the natural disaster thing, but, you know, the world's moving that much faster, you, you can miss something. So mm -hmm. you really do want to make sure that everything is as buttoned up as you can possibly make it within balance. You know, I'm not expecting someone to go build Fort Knox, you know, around their business to, you know, that doesn't quite make sense. You know, you can't spend that kind of money or that kind of time to build up on the assumption that you might have something happen. But, you know, you should at least have a plan for how do you deal with it if something does. And even if it's in the general sense of, you know, how do I build something that basically says if something happens and the something is not really defined because you don't know what it'll be. Mm -hmm. But what happens if? And I think you have plenty of great examples, even in that one article. That, you know, what happens if one of these happens? So where do you weigh the expenses on this? Um, because that's probably the other reason why, you know, a business owner might not do it is they'll just say, well, it's just too damned expensive. And, and then the risk versus reward of it, you know, again, it's kind of like insurance. You pay for insurance with the, the hope that you never have to use it. But the whole idea you're paying for that insurance is because if you did, hopefully it's not going to be a catastrophic result afterwards you've got some sort of coverage on it um yeah. you know from a financial perspective where do you draw the line um well i think there's a couple of things to go into that i think the first thing is what kind of business are you in um that way you can figure out what am i looking to cover um pandemic hit and depending on the type of business that you are in the expense to kind of deal with that contingency um varied you know, for me, we were already pretty much remote, mm -hmm. that most of my people were remote. We had space. We had space to meet when we wanted to meet. But for the most part, people were already remote. So the tools were in place to work from remote. But we're a service business. OK, we don't have a ton of equipment. We needed to make sure that Internet was qualified, that it was you know fast enough, that there was broadband, that you could get to the systems that were already in the cloud. That's that's one. But if you were in, um, one of my clients was in oil and gas support, where they're actually providing things to the, um, the oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. So what did they have to do? They weren't sitting there saying, well, my computer works. We're all good. <laughs> you know, they were sending people out to oil rigs and there's a transportation issue. How do you get people out there? There's a daily boat or there's an emergency helicopter. I mean, other than that, you know, what happens if you took someone who had COVID and you sent them to an oil rig? Yeah. 
you know, everyone else gets COVID too. Everybody else gets COVID too. And now possibly your oil rig gets shut down. How do you, you know, and then what do you deal with? So um, each business has to evaluate their own set of issues or set of their contingency plan. And what would the cost be, you know, in the oil and gas support company, you know, the big thing was testing all those people before they went out to the boat, you know, and then it became a, a security issue and it became a quarantining issue. And then so they had to deal with how do you keep the people that come in and then they qualify that they are sick. You know, you have to figure out where are you going to put them? You have to either quarantine them. Are you sending them home? Like what? There was a whole series of what do you have to come up with as far as your backup plan? Mm -hmm. And there's significant costs to that, too. Oh, absolutely. And I was, you know, I think in in this particular situation, a lot of those costs got passed through. I think that's where we saw a lot of costs start going up early on, either from the supply chain issues or from situations where now more processes had to be put in place. Uh, people couldn't work. Um, so then you're relying on fewer people to do more. And of course, you're paying them a premium to do that work. So th there's all these cost rollovers that tend to happen uh, in a situation like this. Uh, the thing I struggle with is, is, you know, we talk about, we're talking about contingencies here. So we'll get into the communication side of it in a little bit, but mm -hmm. since we're still on the financial side, all businesses should have some sort of contingency plan financially as well. Um, just because you bring a dollar in doesn't mean that dollar goes out or that dollar goes in your pocket. I think you've got to really uh, try and figure out how much money you need to set aside that's reasonable that you have at the ready should something happen. Well, I think the other thing too is we're, we're mentioning insurance, right? And insurance, mm -hmm. they, they tend to be somewhat, you know, pretty much reactive anyway. Um, but you don't know the timing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had one client was dealing with a business loss that came from hurricane coming through and it flooded the area around their building and they had a business loss insurance policy. So they went to claim that it was years going through and applying for that business loss. Now you had to prove you had a business loss. You had to have <laughs> all the data in place. You had to be able to prove to them that this is what we actually lost because of the hurricane. And I think that's the other thing too. How do you say it's because of the hurricane? So yep. you wind up in an argument with the people who are supposed to cover you. You know, you wind up dealing with someone who's saying, you know, we think that's skeptical. We don't want to pay that. Yep. You know? And that's, that's actually a great example that you brought up because going back to my first example, when we started this podcast about the whole software situation, that's exactly what they're going through right now. They report it to the insurance company and the insurance company saying, well, how can you prove that it's the software that caused the loss? Yeah. Maybe you just made a mistake. So yeah. now they've got to go through all this process. They have to hire people, uh, forensic IT people to go in and look at and see what happened to tell them if the software was the culprit or not. And then they have to use that that to support you know, the insurance claim. Um, those people aren't cheap. They're probably spending tens of thousands of dollars to have somebody root through data to try and figure out what's going on there. So just because insurance you have insurance doesn't mean that you're always going to be covered or covered immediately, which again goes back to what I was talking about, which is you need to have kind of a rainy day fund, if you will, to to protect yeah. you. You need ready reserves available so that if something happens, you're you're covered. 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you another just to, you know, because we already said it's not always a natural disaster mm -hmm. that you have to deal with. It could just be a flat out mistake. And I've got two of those that basically one of them, I had a client that um, COVID hit, procedures were changed to deal with a lot of people being remote and someone hacked their, their email system, not even into their actual system. They hacked into the email mm. and were able to track when people were sending emails that related to a certain, say, number. Ah. So they were watching one of the financial people in their email to see when they were saying, oh, I have this $1.4 million wire I have to send out. So immediately some hacker from somewhere sends him an email and says, we've changed our banking information. So please send the <laughs> bank. So please send that wire that's coming to our new bank at this, you know, set of set of instructions. And, and so, that's an easy mistake. So the one guy looks over to the other guy and says, does this look real? He says, yes. So they turn around and they wire the money to the new banking information. And turns out that because they were in that RSS feed or whatever the technical jargon is, they actually were able to get through to these guys that, you know, this looks good. Now, as we kind of look at it in hindsight, we say, you know, if they were in the office, the one guy could have actually turned around and, you know, showed another guy on the floor, you know, right face to face, you know, do you think this looks legit? But they're doing it by email. Mm -hmm. And the guy that's actually hacking them is watching all the emails. So <laughs> he's involved in making sure that, that this goes through. So they sent out a million four. And a month later, the construction company that was supposed to get the 1.4 million turns around and says, where's our money? And that's the only indication that something happened that mm -hmm. it went to the wrong place. So cyber insurance, right? Everybody went to cyber insurance. Cyber insurance right. gave them $100,000. Oh. Out of, a, out of a million four. And big yes. investigation starts, FBI, everybody else. They found 400 of it. So they wound up with $500,000 recovery. But it was a million four that went out the door. So still 900, how do you deal short. with so how do you deal with that? You know, what's your contingency plan for that? If these guys were a pretty big outfit, so they were able to, you know, sweat it off, shrug it off, whatever term you want to call it. Smaller companies are not going to be able to do that. That's well, I know some pretty cool. pretty good sized companies that, you know, if that, you lose a million dollars, it's a pretty big, that's going to affect a lot of things. It hurts. Um, so that was one, then the, just to throw another story out there, you know, when I'm talking about it being a mistake, you know, there was a, a client that was buying product from, uh, China that they thought they could do better by shipping their product from the Dominican Republic. Mm. Now, everything in China was set. Yes. The prices were a couple bucks higher per unit, you know, but they, figured it's going to cost us a couple bucks less than that if we just go over to the Dominican Republic. Problem was they shuttered China before Dominican Republic was tested. <laughs> so Dominican Republic was shipping these products that were defective and they had to keep sending them back. So the supply chain we're talking about, what happens when your supply chain goes out the window? That was a huge deal. We had a $20 million company that was headed for zero. Wow. Because they couldn't sell any product. They didn't their their whole business model was we have product in the warehouse. Well, they couldn't replenish the warehouse. 
So um, what do you do in that case? There's no, there's no insurance for that, maybe right. business loss, but we're talking about business loss. What happens when you have to prove it? Well, it's your fault. You made the choice. You did something that caused that issue. You changed your supplier and you changed not having a backup supplier. Took them four years to rebuild that. Wow. So how do you weather that four years? That that's difficult. That I think that happens more often than not. I have a similar yeah. story. So there was a time when I had an office over in China and uh, we were helping a company here try and source some materials from over there. And uh, because it was a new account, if anyone's done business with China, they want their money up front for everything. So the company wired the money to this company in China. Now, wire transfers are handled differently in different countries. So for example, if it was Dan Paulson limited here and I spelled out limited fully, not the LTD, uh, but I abbreviated it in the wire transfer here, it more than likely would go through. In China, that's not the case. So it was a situation where the company had the limited tag on it and they had it spelled out in full, uh, but the company that sent the wire transfer abbreviated it. Well, it came to dead stop and we didn't know that. So they're looking for their product, which was on a time constraint. So they're stuck and the money's gone. The money's been sent out and we're telling them, well, you know, that money should come back or, or, you know, it should go somewhere. And they kept pressing and pressing. Well, we really need this. We really need this. Okay. Well, then you could send the money through a different way. And they did that. And guess what happened? About the same time, both payments hit the company's account. And, of course, they couldn't get all the money back. So they paid double for something. Wow. And that's, fortunately, it wasn't a huge sum of money, but it was big enough. And, you know, these are the things that happen. And, and the other part we haven't even touched on yet, and we'll get to that in a minute, is, you know, the personnel side of things. But I'm just curious from you, Rich. So looking at from the financial side, what does a company do to set a, you know, is there a certain percentage of money they should have set aside as a contingency? Uh, when you're a CFO, do you look at something like that? How do you figure out, you know, what you need to do to have in ready reserves in case something happens? Yeah, I think, um, again, it depends on what kind of company are we talking about? Um, with our examples all kind of being, you know, we're buying product or, you know, not so much the, the accidental kind of shipping of, uh, the, you know, having somebody break into our email, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you're, if you're buying product and you're, and you're wiring money around for that, I mean, there's, there's a piece there, like, how do you keep enough reserve to, you know, cover and it, depending on the size of the company or, or the actual, uh, model of the company, I think you have to put something away, but I don't, I don't really have a guideline of how much. Mm -hmm. um, I think every company, regardless, should have some degree of a slush fund or a backup fund, an emergency fund. You know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it accumulates and you get to the point where you're like, you know, we're okay there, so let's not keep putting earnings away. But somewhere along the line, you should have something. Bigger companies that I've worked on generally put some kind of reserve on the books. Mm -hmm. Regardless, you know, a lot of times it doesn't um, it doesn't translate to a tax deduction, but it puts it on a balance sheet 
where there's a liability or for a potential liability. Mm. And the, the place I saw it was a lot of uh, developers, et cetera, that have potential for running into an environmental liability. You know, you're, you're building a building and all of a sudden you hit, oh, by the way, we didn't let you know this used to be a brownfield or you know, <laughs> there's something there that just puts you at a halt. What do you do? You know, you have to have the ability to either clean that up or, you know, spend the time to go after, you know, whoever's going to help you actually get past that issue. So, you know, you tend to see people try to put something like that on the books. Um, I worked for a pharma company. I think it was pharma. Call it pharma. Call it, you know, it was definitely chemical related. Mm -hmm. So they were worried about environmental liability for, you know, um, anything that happened on their plant. You know, because it was a big enough company that you had people watching you for everything and, you know, you spilled, you know, one bottle of something on a concrete floor and everybody was worried about, you know, what are you going to do about that? So um, they put something on the books to say, you know, potentially we could have some issues, even if they're just legal, even if they're, you know, responding to a claim, you know, so you wind up with those expenses and you have to build them into your books so you're able to really understand what am I spending or what am I subject to? Exactly. And, you know, I, I guess for me personally, when I look at, you know, what they recommend for an individual, they recommend usually about having six months cash on hand in case something were to happen. Most people don't do that. And I, I also think that's unrealistic for most businesses to do, but I would say that it, depending upon what kind of business you have, it, it is not unreasonable to have at least two months, if not three, set aside just for general operations, paying employees, keeping lights on, things like that, that you might need to have ready to go in case something were to happen. Because back to your insurance example, you know, in most cases, you're going to be battling with the insurance to some degree to prove you have a loss. Well, that you know, hopefully that can be accomplished within less than three months. But at the very least, if you have three months going by then, you have enough enough back online that you should start making money again. So that is something that I would consider, you know, two to three months worth of, of general operations funding set aside. And I realize that most companies can't just write a check and put that in a separate account right away. But that is something that I think most businesses should really look at is, is taking a small chunk of their profits each month and just squirreling that away into a, a fund like you, you talked about. And that's, that becomes a potential uh, liability on your balance sheet that you're, you're protecting against. And I think that's going to be really important. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things, but we, we really need to touch on communication because as you pointed out, there's, there's this list of six here and only one of them deals with the communication side of things. And, you know, from a financial side, I know you have to keep in line with, you know, communicating to the owners and the owners, of course, have to keep their communication flowing to the employees to cover whatever happens and be prepared. Uh, for me, the biggest contingency factor that you need to deal with on communication side is being prepared for when the unprepared happens. And most companies I know don't have a playbook. They don't have something to go to that says, if X happens, here's what you say to the media. Here's what you say to the community. Here's what you say to the employees. And then here's steps one through 10 that you need to deal with. 
And it's a lot easier to create that when the world's not on fire and, and you're not dealing with the, the crisis at hand. But everyone should have some sort of crisis management policy. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that, interestingly enough, I think on the communications side, um, I think from the data security side, most people have figured out how to make sure that they're somehow protected and can move through. Mm-hmm. COVID was probably the ultimate you know, uh, documenter of all this for people. Right. Right. Uh, for me, I was, uh, like I said before, I was, um, I was already pretty much remote. So we already had zoom. So the darling of the COVID era, <laughs> I already had it. So we already had zoom for meetings. We already had everything in the cloud, whether it was Dropbox or, you know, systems that we had been using just for our working files and, and backups, everything was already there. So a matter of, oh, I got to move over here and replug in my computer. And then I was back up and running. Right. You know, the other thing was it became, well, what happens if your power goes out? Well, then we put in a generator. And then, you know, the other thing is after that, you know, if uh, if the cable goes out and your network goes down, so you don't have the, the, the Wi-Fi and the ability to get to the Internet, then I had a backup, which was my cell phone. Right. So as long as my cell phone was on an unlimited plan, I could hook up to that. And there I, I was off and running again. So, again, very simplistic on my side because my business was pretty straightforward. You know, I think the bigger companies have to go through and do the same thing from the data side. But your point about having a, a checklist to be able to go through and say, you know, if something happens, and again, something might be undefined. It could be in quotes. It could be, you know, something happens. Well, let me, I'll share an example with you of something that I know happened. um, This has probably been a couple decades ago now, but a prominent business person in in Wisconsin uh, is coming back from a fishing trip in Canada. Their plane crashes. And on the plane is the owner I believe the, you know, the CFO, or at least the person that was doing the finances and their top operations person, dead, killed in the plane crash. That business didn't even last two weeks after that happened because all your prominent people were all killed in the same disaster. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, there was no communication on, you know, who's going to handle the finances, what's going to be in place for that, who's going to communicate to the media uh, from the family side of things, I don't think they had all the the ducks in a row as far as that goes. So does the wife take over the business or is there another business partner that steps in? Um, you know, the basic, basically the end result was, from my understanding, the business was liquidated. That put several hundred employees out of a job and it created all sorts of havoc. And those are the things that I don't think most owners really reckon with is, you know, you could be out at a trade show in Vegas and, and when you come back, something happens or you have a heart attack. It's probably the most more realistic thing is you have a health emergency that either disables you or, or kills you and you've got nothing in place to cover what you do. And you and I both know because we work with enough business owners that tend to be a little bit on the control freak side. Um, I think that's just the nature of, of what you are when, when you start a company, when you build an enterprise is you, you have your hands in a lot of different things, but you haven't taught anyone else how to do those things. So now you're gone or you're at a point where you can't and there's no systems or process to manage the work to be done, to keep the process, to keep the machine going, if you will. 
Um, yeah, I think, again, I have seen that where this isn't, you know, a um, it's not a top of mind thought. They don't, mm -hmm. they, they, everybody assumes they're going to be here forever and everybody assumes nothing's possibly going to happen to them. They're invincible. Um, not the way that it goes. You don't know when it'll happen, but somewhere along the line, something will happen and you'd like to be out ahead of it. Um, bigger companies tend to have, I guess, more, uh, more of a thought on some of this stuff. I remember being with Price Waterhouse years ago and mm -hmm. one of the policies, one of the policies was that no two partners could be on the same airplane <laughs> at any time. Yep. And you think, well, that's kind of, you know, why would you think about that? Well, either something happened in their history because they're a hundred year old company at that point, mm -hmm. um, or they just are out ahead of it saying, this is what happens if two partners are on a plane and the plane doesn't make it, you know? Right. So, you know, they're a little bit further out ahead of it. I think the smaller company has to start thinking a little bit more like the bigger company. Yes, definitely. And here's another unnatural disaster, which is even different from the one I just described. Uh, and it's very true in this day and age of, of cancel culture and whatnot. But let's say you have an employee that posts something on their Facebook or their Twitter or, or Snapchat or whatever it might be. And that offends the wrong group of people. And now you've got the picketers out in front of your business or you've got other issues going on where, you know, people are trying to basically shut down your operation or, or get people to not do business with you. How are you prepared for that? And it's not just those situations, but you talked about hackers. You know, there's, there's possibilities that hackers could get into your social accounts and post a bunch of untrue, controversial things that then create all sorts of other issues that you've got to deal with. How are you prepared for that? Yeah. And that's where a lot of companies really need to, again, look beyond just, you know, again, the earthquakes and tornadoes and stuff and, and look yeah. at what are all the other potential roadblocks to business that can be created. And as you pointed out, it doesn't have to be a Price Waterhouse doing it. It could be mom and pop coffee shop down the street. That's something like that's probably going to be the most debilitating to them because, you know, they're they're focused on a, a small group of, of people that are paying the bills there. Um, but even the companies of 20, 40, 50 million, 100 million, uh, this can be very impactful. And again, you, you like the insurance company, you kind of have to prove your case to win back the good graces sometimes, or you have to figure out how to handle those situations in a way that's going to create a positive result. If you don't have a plan for that, the most common issue that people bring up is no comment. Well, what happens when you hear somebody say no comment, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> that automatically to me implies guilt. So yeah. you really got to figure out a better answer than no comment when when the wrong thing is said or the wrong thing is done and you need to recover from that, especially in today's climate when it comes to social media and everything else. Yep. Yeah, the um, this is why I really do like the idea of everybody should have some degree of a what do we do if just a little it doesn't have to be a handbook. It just has to be. Yep. You know, a, a quick checklist even of if this happens, what do you do? Who do you call? You know, yes. individuals have that. You know, what do you what do you do if something if something happens to me? What should my kids do? Right. You know, who should they call? Who's my advisor that 
if something happens to me, they know that I just have to call these people because that's who dad trusted. So I, I think the company has the same, has to take the same mentality and say, you know, what do we do if, you know, who do we call if? And, and I think and that's especially a, if it's media related. Yeah, I think there that's the starting a point. single yeah. point person that, that they call because, yeah. you know, a reporter is going to call anyone they can get a phone number for. And heaven forbid is is a frontline employee that is unfamiliar with the situation or knows about the situation and then says the wrong things. Yeah, they should know to direct it to so and so who's in charge of PR or so and so who's you know the CFO or whatever it might be. They should right. be able to redirect that information. Agreed. Very good point. Agreed. So there's a lot of stuff we covered here. We could probably keep going on and on about this, but <laughs> I, I think my takeaway from what we're talking about here is you do need to be prepared. I don't care what size company you are. You do have to look at the contingencies. While you can't cover them all, you need to have something in place so that way people know what to do and where to go and how to fix. And you also have to have finances set aside so that you can overcome the hurdles that are either natural or unnatural. What's your thoughts? Um, I think my takeaway is definitely, you know, prepare some degree of a checklist of a, a, you know, sort of contingency outline of if something happens, this is what we do. Uh, the finance is definitely a piece that, you know, make sure that you're, you're shored up and, and um, there's no issues there. I think the other thing to kind of add to it though is, Think outside the box a little bit for your own company. You know your company. No one knows your company better than you do. But think outside the box a little bit, meaning that think about what else might happen to your company. What else could attack your company and how could you be prepared if it's something that wouldn't necessarily be normal? And that way, you know, think about the thing that, you know, I don't know, you have a, a factory that's in a that's in a valley and, you know, it could flood. I mean, there's mm -hmm. things like that, that maybe you're not thinking about today because it hasn't happened before, but it could. So that could be part of the, what do I define as something? So again, think outside the box just a little bit for your company, because if you're comfortable, the thing that hits you is going to be the thing that you weren't prepared for. Exactly. And if you need help with this, here we can do our shameless self-promotion, Rich. If you need help with any of this, I've got a finance guy that's sitting here across the screen from me who would be more than happy to help you. Rich, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, my email is the best way to get me. It's rveltry at veltrygroup.com. And you can get a hold of me at danpaulsonletsgo.com, and I can definitely help you with a lot of the operational stuff that you might need to figure out on how you, how you cover for that. Put us together and we can really do quite a number on helping you figure out how to protect your business should something happen in the future. So keep that in mind. Uh, if not, hopefully you've learned something from this podcast. Uh, you can now find us officially at booksandbiz.com. That is books, the letter N, biz, B-I-Z.com. And uh, feel free to check out our other podcasts. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and, and hit the notifications button. We'd love to see you come back next week. And until then, Rich, it's been fun. Absolutely. We'll talk about something new when we get together next Thursday. Sounds great. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. <laughs>